Welcome. Hello. Welcome to America's Got Talent. What's your name? I'm Cody. Hi, Cody. I'm Cody. How old are you? I am 22 years old. Yeah. Who are you, miss? Who are you? I'm Mom. Oh, I'm hi, Tina Mom. Lee. Hi, hi Tina. Hi. How are you? So, what are you going to do here for us today? I'm going to sing a song for you on the piano. I love it. Tina, tell us a little bit about Cody. Cody is blind and autistic. Oh. Wow. We found out that he loved music really early on. He listened and his eyes just went huge. And he started singing. And that's when I just, I was in tears because that's when I realized, oh my gosh, he's an entertainer. So yeah. through music and performing, he was able to withstand living in this world. Because when you're autistic, it's really hard mm -hmm. to do what everybody else does. It actually has saved his life playing music. Wow. Oh, that's awesome. Well, we'd love to hear you. Go for it. You ready? I'm ready. in my life and time I sung a lot of songs and I made some bad rhymes I've acted on my life in stages 10,000 people watching yeah we're alone now and I'm singing the song
Well, first of all, I will tell you that all four judges and everybody in this room were up on their feet. I will tell you that. You gotta know that. You were wonderful. Not only do we feel the authenticity of what you do, but you're a great inspiration and a great talent. And it was amazing. Thank you so much, Julian. I know um, everybody needs a voice and an expression. And I really feel your, your heart, your passion, your voice blew all of us away. So I just want to say that I heard you and I felt you and that was beautiful. Thank you. Simon? Listen, what just happened there was extraordinary. I mean, really extraordinary. Uh, I don't know what it's like to live in Cody's world. All I can tell is, is that you obviously have an amazing relationship, the two of you. And your voice is absolutely fantastic. You have a really beautiful tone. And thank you so much for trusting us on this show. I'm gonna remember this moment for the rest of my life. Thank you. I'm a new judge this season, and I'm also a new mom this year. And congratulations. It's the toughest job I've ever had and the most rewarding job I've ever had. You just want to give your kids the moon, the stars, and the rainbows. And tonight, I'm gonna give you something special. Climb every mountain, and swim every ocean. Cause I need you to expect to cry coming to church on Saturday night <laughs> and there's this there's this thing going on though in this whole the reason why I showed you the whole thing is because as humans we go through this process we go through this prejudgment of a situation let me tell you what I went through while I was watching it maybe you agree or maybe you don't agree but I immediately was like what kind of mom would put their blind autistic kid on stage for millions of people to laugh out of the place why would someone do that he has a hard time speaking there's no way he can play the piano I'm doing all of this upstairs in my brain and then whoa amazing voice he has this this passion and this he really found who he was through music 
and there's this beautiful transaction. And you go from a position, if you're like me, you go from a position of judgment against the mom to I'm with this kid wholeheartedly. I hope he goes all the way and wins whatever they win because I don't watch the show. And I'm just freaking out. I'm like, I'm with him. And then at the end, you watch the judges. They, they don't have to hold, hold on to their comments. They're like, this is the most extraordinary, Simon Cowell, this is the most extraordinary thing I've ever seen in my life. I'll remember this for a lifetime. Because often, we are wrong about our prejudgments. We are wrong about a situation. We often judge things by the cover, like a book. We don't go beyond the book. We say, that book's not worth my time. But then as you get into the story, all of a sudden you begin to change as an individual. And I'm here today to say, what if we had eyes to see the least and the lost? What if God was writing a story that we had to go past the front cover for, that then if we did, there would be this incredible thing happening? So we're going to jump into a story in Luke 19. And if you went to Sunday school at all, you sang a song. And that's what the story's about. So we're going to sing the song together just to lighten the mood a little bit. So sing it with me. Here we go. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Right? So super bright, super funny. Let's all get in a circle and dance around. But there's this dark thing going on in the scripture, in this song, in this story. There are other things going on in this story. Let's actually jump into the story. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region and he had become very rich. Let me put it to you this way. Zacchaeus was the most hated man in Jericho. See, Zacchaeus, he had sold himself to the Roman government so that he could legally steal money from his own people. So let's actually rewrite the song. <laughs> Legitimately, that's what we should be singing because that is how the story starts. It's not about this bright little wee man that's small, so he has to climb a tree to see Jesus. It's this whole other thing. He is the most hated man in the community. And then something incredible happens. Let's jump into the story further. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Let me set the scene. Here's a rich man who doesn't feel like he belongs to anybody except for the Roman government. He's making money so he can give it to them and making himself wealthy. As he collects money, he is hated even more so. But there's this Jesus, and he's heard as a rich man, rich people got news all of the time. They were the first people to get news of someone passing by. And there was this Jesus who was kind of a savior or messiah. 
He would walk into areas and heal people and do these incredible miracles that had never been seen before. And so Zacchaeus, he begins to think of this man and he hears that he's going to be walking through Jericho, the town that he runs and he's in charge of. And all of a sudden, out of desperation, he runs ahead to climb a tree so he can get a look at Jesus. Listen, rich people back then are the same as today. Rich people don't run anywhere. They pay people to run for them. It's called run this errand, go get me coffee, go do this for me, go do that for me. And he, there was no need for him to run ahead and climb a tree, except for there was this desperation because money and stature and power and all these things that you would think would fulfill you as an individual didn't. And he was empty and he was discontent, but he knew with all that he was that if he could just get a look at Jesus, Maybe something would happen. And Jesus walks through, and he calls him down. You have to understand, he's short, and and the writer of this scripture actually talks about the fact that he's short. He's not making fun of him. He's simply saying, when Jesus calls him down out of the tree, there's this moment where Jesus himself would be looking down on him as an individual, But see, Jesus wasn't like that. What happened was Zacchaeus climbed the tree to get a look at Jesus, and Jesus called him down out of the thing he thought would get to see him, and he looked him right in the eyes, and he said, I'm coming to your house because you matter to me. You matter beyond what's being said about you. You matter beyond the riches you have in your account. You matter to me beyond anything that anyone says, and I'm coming over to your house. Let's see what else happens in the story. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and he took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased because, here's the reality, people are always displeased. That's what being a human is all about. I liked it, I didn't like it, like, and we all do that. He's gone to be the guest of the notorious sinner. These people had data for the reason why he needed to be hated, and they had every right to hate him. But they grumbled, and meanwhile Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And it continues on. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be the true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. We could easily sing the song and do the jig and do the, hey, he climbed a tree and it was this great moment, but there's so much more going on in the story. Jesus calls out the most hated person in the community to dine with, to get at the table with, to watch the opulence, to watch him stroll in and see servants serve him, and and just imagine the moment where he sits across from the most notorious sinner. People have already judged him about it. But he's at the dinner table. But instead of looking at what Jesus did or what he said or what might, might have transpired in the conversation, I want you to look at Zacchaeus for a minute. He knew what he was doing was wrong. No one doing wrong goes, goes back to their house and thinks, man, I'm not doing wrong. They're saying I'm doing wrong, but I'm not really doing anything wrong. No, everybody who makes a mistake has this thing called guilt. Guilt is, I've made a mistake. And we know when we make a mistake, we know right and wrong, and most of us have a conscience. So when we make a mistake, all of a sudden we have this guilt about the thing that we did, and that becomes a story we tell ourselves. And this guilt can be built up. We can make the same mistake over and over and over and over, and the longer we 
sit on this idea that there's guilt and I've made a mistake, all of a sudden it becomes this other thing called shame, which is I am a mistake. And you know this just as well as I do. When we focus on this thing, oh God, I wish I could just get rid of the sin or I, could, I wish I could just be a better person. But then, then the enemy just inserts himself just so ever so slightly and says, oh no, you didn't make a mistake. You are a mistake. It's a slight difference, but he does it often enough to where we eventually believe we are a mistake, which is an identity crisis. Because if I believe I'm a mistake, then what am I going to do? Just make mistakes. So here's this guy, Zacchaeus, sitting at a table who has guilt for sure and most likely has shame. And he's like, I've made mistakes. I am a mistake. I don't know how this thing gets better. Jesus goes, pass the wine, pass the bread. I see you. I see all the mistakes. I see all of what everyone else is saying about you. And I look past it. You don't know this, but I'm about to die on a cross and then be raised from the dead three days later to actually save you. But I had to come dine with you. I had to actually see who you are. And I needed you to see be, to allow me to see beyond your circumstance so you could actually see yourself beyond circumstance. See, Jesus doesn't see us with the, you, your best day. Yeah, your best day, that's who Jesus sees you as. No, he doesn't also see you on the other end of the spectrum in your worst situation. See, Jesus was a part of this creation with God. And God, when he created, breathed this breath. He breathed out of the dust and man came to creation. And God said these beautiful words over creation. He said, it is good. He didn't say, oh, perform real quick and let me see if you're good. Oh, don't make that mistake. That's not what I had prepared for you. See, he breathed into the lungs of Adam and he said, it is good. And Jesus was sitting at the table and he was saying, it is good. I don't see you like they see you. I have a different set of eyes. And what happens to Zacchaeus at that table is this really fancy churchy term called repentance which essentially means complete turn. And Zacchaeus has this complete turn, and we all see it. We see him stand up and make a declaration over his life and over the situation, and he says two things. I'll give half my money away to the poor, and I, if I cheated anyone, which is crazy, if you know you've cheated people, I will give four times as much what I stole. So two things are happening. Zacchaeus is giving himself the highest penalty of his crime. In the Torah or in the law, there would be these laws that said, when you wrong somebody, there's this retribution and it should be about 20%, or it should be half, or it should be three times. But the highest penalty for any sin in the law was four times as much. And so he goes, I'm going to take the highest penalty and I'm going to pay four times as much. And this is cool, and we could end the service here, and we could be like, wow, that's amazing for Zacchaeus, but most of us aren't Zacchaeus. Most of us aren't hated by our community. Most of us are not in a situation where we are looked down on by anybody. But let me tell you the real story that's going on. See, we, we haven't talked about the crowd. Who else was there that day? 
Who else was in the crowd that day? Well, we know from the scripture that there was a crowd. So we can make the assumption that in that crowd were people that needed something. And the reason why we can make that assumption is because if we look at any other time Jesus himself walked through a community, there were blind people, there were beggars, there were homeless people, there were widows and orphans, there were other situations, terminally ill people who were after something from God. So we can make the assumption that in that crowd that day were Cody Lee's. Blind, autistic people looking for some, from something from God. They needed something. And then we know from the scripture that there's another person in the crowd that day, and it's the judge. And let me just be frankly honest with you. The judge is overlooked in this scripture, but it's the majority of who we are. And here's why. Because the judge showed up not out of a physical need or a financial need, they showed up thinking this Jesus was this person that had this extreme love and this extreme grace, but, but wouldn't hang out with those type of people. Now, I don't want to stand up here and judge you as a judge, but I do want to say this, I'm a judge. I took a team of students to Costa Rica this year. And we went house to house and we knocked on doors or we knocked on gates or we yelled through gates when dogs were just chomping at us and this whole thing. It was an interesting situation, but we went to this one house and I'll never forget the moment. We had walked for a while. We were tired and I walked in and we're with the group and our, our translator saying, look, we're, we're Americans. We're, we're coming with this gift of rice and beans, but we also want to give you the better gift, which is prayer. How can we pray for you? And this, i got to set the scene for you. This man is blind. He's a quadriplegic in a wheelchair. And I'm thinking, well, pff, this is obvious. Immediately, I go into my judgment mode of, well, I know exactly what to pray for for him. But in that moment, he says these words. And he took a long pause. And he get, with boldness and courage, yes, in Spanish and all of that, it had to be translated. But as I'm listening to and watching this man communicate this, all of a sudden I just get convicted from the Lord. Ooh, you judged that situation again. And he says these words. My greatest prayer is that God would, would come to this Costa Rica and change hearts from male, male, female, kids, everybody here, that they would see Jesus and there would be revival in Costa Rica. And I'm like, oh. I judge that situation wrong. Here's a man who's thinking the gospel all day long. He has great need but he's not asking for himself. He's asking for this other thing to happen in his community that God would come and begin to change hearts from the inside. See, we often get it wrong because I guarantee you that the people that showed up that day had an expectation of Jesus. They didn't realize that Jesus would meet that expectation and go above and beyond. Here's what I mean. In one fell swoop, he calls out the most notorious rich man with the most clout. He sits down at the dinner table. Now, fast forward, he's gone from Jericho. Zacchaeus has made this declaration. There's all this stuff going on. Imagine three months later when Zacchaeus knocks on somebody's door and says, here is a bag of gold because I stole from you. 
And when Jesus came through Jericho that day, he changed my heart and life. He showed me that I have an existence beyond, a purpose beyond my existence. And here is this, it's a gift, and I want to say I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And imagine that day, what that person who was a judge in the situation felt. Even though I prejudged that Costa Rican man, God was doing something in him that was teaching me about this person, Jesus. And see, it doesn't always happen in the moment. We may expect something from God or want something from God, and he may or may not do that thing for us in the moment. But three months later, all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door, and the very thing we've been asking for, God meets our need. Sometimes we prejudge the situation. I don't know what you came in here with. I don't know what kind of weight you're carrying. I don't know if you're on top of the world or you want to give up. But I do know this. That day there were three people in the crowd. There was Zacchaeus, there was the judge, and there were the Cody Lees. The Cody Lees walked away realizing God could meet their need because Zacchaeus gave half his money away to the poor which means the Cody's in the crowd ended up getting a meal on behalf of Zacchaeus who was transformed because of the gospel. See, whoever you are in the story, I just called myself out for being the judge. So I'm not sitting here saying, oh, you should be the judge too. I don't know. Maybe you're Zacchaeus. Maybe you feel like you are the most hated person in the community. Guess what? Jesus sees you. Maybe today you came in with a physical need or you came in with a financial need or you came in asking God to do something powerful in your life. And, and if you're honest with yourself, you go, I don't know that he's here for me. I think he's probably here for Zacchaeus. He sees you, he loves you, and he's going to meet the need. Please, please, if you forget everything, God individually sees your need. God knows you may be going through a divorce or you're about to lose the house or maybe you're about to lose your family unit as it is or it's been so stressful and you just can't see a way out or, or a kid just left and they're on drugs and you're not sure how that's all going to play out. But the reality is that Jesus sees your need and he will meet your need. Maybe not in your timing. Maybe not the way you want him to. Maybe not exactly how you see it working out. But there's going to be a knock at the door and maybe retribution for what you lost or maybe he's meeting your need and you're not even aware of it what if he was doing the very thing he said in John 14 6 Jesus said this I am the way the truth and the life no one can come to the father except through me Jesus always talked about being the single person he talked about being the person that mattered the most, not just with salvation, but the fact that he is meeting your need. In other parts of scripture, there's one scripture where he talks about being the gateway or the doorway. And let me give you a mental picture here very quickly because I think someone in the house needs to know this. A shepherd would take their sheep and they would push them back against a cliff 
And this was because they needed protection on the backside. And that shepherd would position himself. He would build a fence of sorts around the rest of him. Maybe he went into a cave and he pushed all the sheep back and he sat in the doorway and sometimes he'd be nodding off and a wolf would come and he would defend that wolf from taking a sheep. Now listen, let's put ourselves in the sheep's position. In the sheep, I don't know how to say that word, but anyway. There's a sheep in the back and the dark in the cave, and he hears the wolf growling. But he's got to know there's somebody standing there defending him. And what Jesus was saying is John 14, 6 was, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, which is I'm the gateway. I defend anything that wants to come to hurt you. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good father. I love you. I'm for you. I'm with you. And some of you today are sitting here going, "That's man, that made me cry, and I don't know about this message, but I'll tell you what, I came in here with great need today. And I don't think Jesus is defending me. And I'm going to tell you, you're 100% wrong. He loves you. He sits at the gateway. He, He is blocking anything and everything that would come to destroy who you are. Now, sometimes he'll let you be tempted. Sometimes he'll allow things to happen in your life to grow you up and to give you character and to push you to become the person you've always been designed to be. But he's going to defend you from what the enemy would say. See, you, some of, most of us here have made a mistake. But you're not a mistake. That is a lie from the enemy. You are not a mistake. You matter beyond what you may see right now in your physical world. And if anything, you walk out of here and you go, God, I just needed to be reminded that I can trust you. If I'm Zacchaeus, if I'm Cody Lee, if I'm whoever I am in the crowd, God, I may not even know how to answer that. But I'm here and I'm listening and I have faith in you. Please restore my faith. Please let me know that you're in front. He's saying, hello, I'm here and I'm defending you and I love you. Let's pray. God, we come before you and we just... In this moment, we, we want to remind ourselves that you are good. No matter what's going on, there are great needs in the house, and there are other needs that seem like, oh, I mean, I'm comparing myself. God, I know you see every single need, no matter what, no matter how big or small it is. You see every person in the room. And some of those people, they're very hard on themselves. Lord, today I pray that they would see have eyes to see themselves like you see them. You see beyond their current circumstance. You see beyond their current mistake. You see beyond their best day. You see beyond their worst day. And you say, I love you and you matter and there's a purpose for your life. God, I pray that as we walk out today, we would know that intimately. We'd be aware of what you are doing. And and God, as we become aware of that, may, may we be people who call others out of the trees of life. And may we be people that stand up and say, yes, I felt like you did, like I didn't matter and there wasn't a purpose. But now I know this guy named Jesus. And he's transformed my life. And he wants to transform yours too. God, make us people that are hungry for that. In Jesus' name. Amen.